I just want to jump in really quickly to ask a very important favour. We know that most of you who listen to No Bullshit Leadership haven't yet hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite podcast player. This is how the podcast grows. And even though we've already got a pretty decent global following, we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. We started this podcast over five years ago with the lofty ambition of improving the quality of leaders globally. So if you've got any benefit at all from listening to the podcast, I'd ask you to just take a moment, literally a moment, to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite player. The world needs more no-bullshit leaders, and you can help us to make that happen. Back to the episode. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Hey guys, M here. If you've enjoyed this free podcast and have got any value from it whatsoever over the past six months, it would mean a lot to Marty and I if you could go and check out our seven-week online leadership program, Leadership Beyond the Theory, at courses.yourceomentor.com. If it's not for you, that's totally cool, and we want you to keep getting the gold from the podcast every week. But you probably know someone else who's a leader who could really benefit from the program. So if you're a good friend or a good colleague, you'll pass it on. Now, if that's too hard basket, then please subscribe and rate the podcast. There are thousands of you out there who haven't done that, and it will help us reach more leaders who genuinely need our help. Courses.yourceomentor.com. Go check it out. All right, on to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 24 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. 
This week is part two of building organisational capability. How do you build capability into your organisation and culture? Carrying on from last week's episode, which explored what organisational capability is in the context of corporate strategy, this week we finish it off by talking about how to build a competitive advantage into our culture. The question from our keen listener in Bucharest, Radu, has been quite challenging for me to answer, to be honest. I found it quite difficult to take such a vast and complex topic and simplify it sufficiently to make it useful in a couple of short podcast episodes. So please feel free to let me know how you think I did. In this episode, I'm going to start with a very short recap on last week's episode, part one of Building Organisational Capability, just in case you didn't hear it. I'm going to talk about the career path dilemma between technical and leadership streaming inside an organisation. We'll talk about how to build technical capability in your organisation, but the main focus is going to be on how to take a methodical, systematic approach to building leadership capability. I'll then finish off by giving you four steps to building organisational capability. So let's get into it. Let's start just by circling back on what organisational capability actually is. It's the ability and capacity of an organisation expressed in terms of the resources it owns and has access to, and it is all important in how we develop and execute strategy. And it incorporates six different types of resources that we might be able to deploy. Remember the acronym PROFIT? for the different categories, physical, reputational, organisational, financial, intellectual, and technological. Organisational capability supports what we call the resource-based view of competitive advantage. How well equipped are we to compete in our chosen industry and markets? Now remember that business strategy, in its simplest form, seeks to address two fundamental questions. Is the market worth winning in? and I like to think of this as the external view of strategy, and can we win, which I like to think of as the internal view of strategy. Good executives try to focus on doing the things that deliver the most bang for buck. This naturally leads them to very tangible actions to improve short-term performance, so balance sheet repair, M&A transaction, cost-out initiatives, etc. But many leaders ignore or struggle with one of the richest sources of value creation for an organisation – improving the capability and performance of every single individual in the organisation, starting with the leaders. Before we go too far, I just want to recognise a really fundamental issue that doesn't get spoken about very often, and this is the career path dilemma. In most industries and organisations, we lack a clear career path that enables people without the aptitude or desire to be a leader to have a fulfilling career. Let's face it, everyone who's born with an ambition chip wants to move up. They want recognition, they want title, they want status, and they want financial rewards, and that's fair enough. And it's programmed into us. And many people, as they move up, become intensely unhappy, as they're in roles they don't like, they're not suited to, and ultimately can't be successful in. This is why I talk about making the choice to become a leader. Do you really want to take on the hard yards of leadership, letting go of the need to be liked, and instead adopting the mantra of, respect before popularity, having difficult and uncomfortable conversations, investing time in your people, much of which doesn't have any discernible impact, and of course being prepared to make tough decisions and you just being okay with that. Now if the only moving up options are in leadership roles, this pushes non-leaders who are built for technical roles into positions that they are bound to struggle with. They don't really have any desire to lead. 
And sure signs are leaders who say things like, my job would be great without the people. Or, I spend too much time on admin work. Or, I can't find time to do any real work. Now, the $64,000 question becomes, how can I establish a career path for technical experts that allows them to get career advancement, financial rewards, respect and status, without putting them into roles that they aren't cut out for? I know a lot of you aren't in a position to influence your organisational architecture and design, and that's okay, but one day you will be. And this is a key area for you to think about. When I think back to my time at CS Energy, we weren't particularly good at this technical career streaming either. However, we did take on an individual basis people in senior leadership roles who were clearly not suited to it and reassign them to very senior technical roles. So, for example, we created a chief engineer role. This enabled excellent technical people with highly valuable skills and knowledge to focus on what they do best. And in general, this enables people to be paid what they're worth in the place that they are worth the most. So in terms of those technical skills and capabilities, it is critical that these are built within the organisation and that you pay attention to that. Remember last week from David Yoffe, the most enduring competitive advantages come from people and culture advantages. So to deal with this technical stream rather quickly, I see this as predominantly a function of workforce planning. What technical capabilities will we need? Number, skill and capability of people. And what skills and capabilities will we need in two or three or ten years' time? What skills and capabilities are core to our business? What is it that really differentiates us? And is this potentially going to be a source of competitive advantage for our organisation? If it is, how do we perpetuate it? How do we nurture it and grow those skills in-house? So, for example, skills and experience in the thermodynamics of coal combustion is pretty important if you're in a company that runs a portfolio of coal-fired power stations. So do you have the ability to retain it? And if so, how would you do it? On the other hand, we have what we call commodity skills, which we can easily buy out of the market. And so there is an endless supply of high-quality and competent accountants and lawyers and software developers coming out of the universities all around the world. So that's enough. I'm going to leave technical capabilities where it is because I really want to focus down on the leadership and organisational capability that becomes an inherent part of what you do. Now, the first thing is we really have to take a methodical approach to building people capability. You can't ignore one of the richest sources of value potentially for your organisation. And the organisational advantages that are the hardest to create, as we've said before, people, processes and methods, are the most difficult for your competitors to replicate. And because they're very hard to imitate, the payback is enormous. They are sources of long-term competitive advantage. But it starts with your leaders. Leadership affects everything you try to do. Nothing happens unless a leader makes it happen. Or actually, I should probably rephrase that. Nothing different happens unless a leader makes it happen. The organisation will just roll along doing what it's always done and nothing will be different. So if you're trying to make any improvement to your organisation in terms of culture, productivity, efficiency, quality, the success or failure of that is directly proportional to the influence and impact your leaders can exert. Now, if this is allegedly so valuable, why aren't we all focusing on it more? I just want to reference a McKinsey survey from a few years ago 
that looked at how companies build organisational capability. And leadership skill was considered by the majority of respondents in this survey to be the capability that contributes most to performance. But interestingly, only 35% of organisations say they focus on it. They also found in this survey that less than 10% of companies said that capability building was a top priority for their organisations. And even when it came to the mechanics of clearly defining organisational roles and accountabilities, less than 40% of organisations said that they did that well. If we're going to take a methodical view of building organisational capability through our people, the very first step would obviously be to work out where you are now. What innate capabilities do you have in your people? Is there anything special that differentiates your people and processes? And this is the O part of the profit model we spoke about earlier. But when you think about your people and process capability, you need to be honest. I hear a lot of leaders say, we've got the best people, or people are our greatest asset. I'm going to tell you, 99% of the time, this is pure, unadulterated bullshit. It is in most cases a thin platitude voiced by out-of-touch leaders. Let's take a reality check. Your people, like my people, are most likely to be an average representative sample of what you can buy from the market at any point in time, given your industry, location and remuneration policies. You may recall I dedicated episode 12 of the No Bullshit Leadership podcast to the war for talent and I explored some of these dynamics there. But let's step back for a minute. What if you could actually make it true? What if you could build your leadership and organisational capability to the point where you actually did turn your people into better than average employees? What if you could retain your best employees and free up your worst to be successful with one of your competitors' organisations? Would that be valuable? To that end, I want to give you four steps to building organisational capability through leadership. And I just want to preface this by saying, at CS Energy and other organisations I've been in, this takes teams of people years to work on to get it right and mature. But you've got to start somewhere. So let's see if your organisations have some of these things in place already and recognise the good things that are already being done and then see how you can improve them. Number one, be methodical and deliberate so it doesn't all just become a fluffy talk fest. And when I say this, methodical and deliberate means you have systems and processes to understand, track and develop your leadership talent, which in turn increases organisational capability. It means you make it a priority for leaders, so it would naturally be part of their own performance assessment. And you make it clear the first and foremost job of a leader is to build leadership talent and capability below them. Then you link performance assessments to organisational capability development and talent management. The second step is to set really clear performance standards. And you need a standard for each level in the organisation. Now let me explain. Performance standards are generic for each level and are multi-dimensional. At CS Energy, we had six categories that every leader was rated across. And these categories were safety, leadership, management, commercial working across boundaries, and developing others. Now, your organisation might require different categories or dimensions for full performance standards. And each of these dimensions can be weighted differently depending on the point in time you're at. 
but everyone, from the chief executive down to the frontline leaders, had a performance standard based on their performance on those six dimensions. At each level, though, there were different imperatives and different time horizons based on the layer of the organisation it was at. So clearly, the CEO would have a very different time horizon to a frontline supervisor. We had a lot of fun, though, trying to get people to understand that to be at full performance as a leader, you needed to be able to perform across all six performance categories. It wasn't enough to be an outstanding commercial person and to be absolutely rubbish at working across boundaries or developing others. You had to have a combination of all of these six dimensions to be at full performance. Now, to make this a bit more tangible, I'm going to put a sample performance standard uh, with the show notes here so that you can download that as a free downloadable at the end of this episode. Number three, the third step in getting a methodical way of building talent and organisational capability is to review your talent regularly. Now, at CS Energy, we had a nine-box process, and that's an assessment of two things. We do it for every leader in the organisation, and it assesses the performance and the potential of each individual, and this includes their values and behaviours. We would run talent management sessions, which I'd chair as the chief executive because I own the talent in the organisation, but I'd have the assistance of the executive team and it'd be supported by HR and senior line managers. And as well as the assessment of performance and potential of each of the individual leaders, we also did an evidence-based assessment against a framework called Leaders Who Will Grow. Because Leaders Who Will Grow have recognisable patterns, and in addition to delivering expected results, they demonstrate a number of things. A thirst for knowledge and the motivation to apply it. They have a willingness to tackle tougher and tougher challenges. Regular and frequent efforts are made to innovate, and they have an ability to anticipate and avoid obstacles. They exhibit an openness to ideas and improvements submitted by others. They take calculated risks to accelerate progress. They learn from their mistakes and they don't repeat them. And they like making their peers successful. They put team results ahead of their own, and they connect the dots, the value drivers, in order to get leverage. They seek feedback from diverse sources, and they can articulate complex problems in simple terms. Now, as I said before, looking at the combination of two things, performance and potential, we map them on a three-by-three matrix. That's why we call it a nine-box. And the dimensions of performance are not yet full performance, full performance, or exceptional performance. On the potential axis, we have mastery, growth, and turn. So mastery means you're going to always do the same job you're doing now. You'll just get better at it, hopefully. Growth potential says you can take on bigger roles at the same level of difficulty. But turn says you have the potential to go up to the next level. Now, check out the Leadership Pipeline book that I've mentioned before in these episodes. It has a great description of Nine Box and how it works. In my view, there is no potential, though, without performance. You can't be said to be at full performance unless you perform against all dimensions of the performance standard. And you can't really be earmarked for promotion to a larger job at the growth or higher level at the turn classification unless you're performing as a leader at the level you are currently at. Now, one of the biggest mistakes I see in leadership development is people applying the halo effect. For example, taking a good bloke, in quotes, and promoting him because of his likability. Or promoting someone who's good in one or two dimensions of the performance standard, so for example, management and commercial, 
and putting them up where they can't handle the rigours of the new level. The group assessment process is designed to circumvent this. But in an open forum, where you're discussing people's individual performance and potential, this is where your leadership performance is just so important. We've spoken before about fostering a culture which invites and expects robust and respectful challenge. And the effectiveness of the talent management process depends almost entirely on how well you can engage your leaders to bring that no-bullshit culture to the table. In my view, most leadership teams are too polite for the most part. They're more afraid of being seen to hurt someone's feelings or be critical of another individual than they are to courageously seek the right outcome. If I don't agree with you, then at some point in the future you might not agree with me and I might be embarrassed, so let's not take the risk. But like in any other domain, you want to encourage broad challenge, perspectives and debate on the leadership talent. So all executives come ready to talk about their leaders in their organisation. They need evidence, and that gets distributed as pre-reading. We evaluate and discuss each leader in the business. We agree on a rating for performance and potential. We talk about the high potential people, and this is really important. How can we stretch and grow them quickly? What opportunities inside the organisation can we create for them to develop them and retain them? And we also look at succession planning, building ready-now successes in each of the critical roles. And we look for gaps in the organisational capability. So that process, which I've just flown over the top of very, very briefly, is a critical part of building organisational capability. Finally, the most important part of that process I've just spoken about is the feedback and development planning for every individual that we've assessed. And for me, this is the most important part of the process because it gives you the ability to give crystal clear feedback to individual leaders. You've got an organisation-wide assessment of their performance and potential where you've consulted right across the organisation, the executives, HR and so forth. And you also test their direct manager as to what their views are because sometimes, let's face it, we all fall in love with our people. But it opens a discussion about what they need to do to become full or exceptional performance and to actually realise their potential to go up through the organisational layers and to become turn potential. It gives people a reality check on their career aspirations within the organisation at least and lets them know where they stand. And being able to give that feedback to an individual is just gold. Now on the downside, some people will say that this is labelling individuals. And I know labelling is very, very unpopular these days from young childhood upwards. And this is particularly not-for-profits and other industries where you have less competitive rigour. But I see this as real feedback, with the promise of support for improvement and career development. And this provides one of the rare opportunities for individuals to develop that they never would have otherwise had. This process, for me, has turned out some of the strongest leaders I've ever seen. And that's the bottom line. All right, that brings us to the end of episode 24. The free download this week, we have a sample performance standard and the checklist for identifying leaders who will grow. So you can pick that up by going to www.yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 24. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So if you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast through your favorite app, give it a rating and write a quick review so that we can reach even more leaders. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no bullshit leader. <laughs>